we can take our text this evening from the words that we have in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Well, friends, last night, this morning, we found ourselves at the cross at Calvary. This evening, we're moving on. We're moving from the cross to the cave. We're moving to the cave that acted as the grave of Jesus. And as we come to this narrative, we're going to quite simply think about it under two headings. Firstly, the faithful follower that we see here. And then secondly, the risen Savior, the faithful follower and the risen Savior. Who then is this faithful follower? Well, it's none other, of course, than Mary Magdalene, an ordinary, everyday woman, a woman who came from that Galilean village of Magdala, which was on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. Why did she follow Jesus? Well, no doubt for many different reasons, but this woman, Mary, had had her own first-hand experience with Jesus dealing with her in life. She didn't just know Jesus theoretically, she knew him personally. He was, of course, the one who had cast seven demons out from her, and because of this, she was devoted. She loved him. She followed him, so much so that she she followed him to to Jerusalem only to, to witness him hanging on that cross at Golgotha. This was a woman whose faithfulness to her Savior went way beyond any fair weather friendship. She didn't treat Jesus merely as, as it were, as a genie in a bottle, making requests as and when she needed them, but yet failing to serve him as a a follower. Now, we pick up our narrative in verse 11. And as we do so, we find ourselves outside the tomb, outside the the cave uh, that Jesus was to be buried in following his death. And as we come alongside this grave, we find nearby that Mary is grieving. She's come to the tomb early in the morning, and we read in other accounts of of this uh, narrative that she comes with spices to anoint his body. No doubt she's seeking some kind of comfort as she, she comes to terms with the fact that her beloved Jesus is dead and here buried in this cave in this tomb. There's nothing unusual here. In our own culture, in our own context, we still find people gaining comfort from coming to a graveside, perhaps placing flowers or whatever. This is just an ordinary uh, scene of humanity that we have before us here. However, this visitation to the grave of Jesus was one that was going to prove to be anything but normal. Because as Mary makes her way to the the tomb that day, as she has this desire to, to serve her Lord one last time in this special way, what does she see as she comes toward it? She sees that it's open. 
The stone has been rolled away. Now, let's not underestimate the horror of the scene. When we read these narratives over and over again, we're used to them. Perhaps since uh, childhood, we overlook these details. The grave is open. Now, if we were to go to a graveyard and and see a grave that had been uh, filled in, uh, open, we would be horrified, especially that of one whom we loved so much in this world. And so in panic, what does Mary do? She instinctively, she runs to get Peter and John who come back with her and, and confirm that not only has the stone been rolled away, but even worse, the tomb is empty. The only evidence that Jesus had been there was the remaining linen cloths that his body had been wrapped in. Now, we're not going to focus on the reaction of the disciples as a whole other sermon, but what we do read is that they they don't hang about, they go back to their homes. Mary, however, she remains. She stays outside the open tomb weeping at the horror of the fact that as far as she's concerned, someone has taken away the body of her Jesus. Now, of course, we know that Christ had many times told his followers what was to happen. He was to die. He was to rise again. And so in light of this, we would assume at least that this This empty tomb shouldn't have been a surprise to Mary. But it was. She was a faithful follower of Christ. Yes, that is true. But still she lacked so much understanding. And I suppose before we're too hard on Mary, we can see that we ourselves can can lack understanding in a similar way. We can be faithful followers of Christ. But yet there's so much in Scripture that we do know. And there's also so much in Scripture that we don't know, that we don't understand. Even discussing at lunch today many different aspects of of things in Scripture we just don't have answers to. The second coming, a, a prime example. We're told about it, we believe it, but yet the truth is that the exact details of what that is going to look like in many ways is completely beyond us. But still, like Mary, we continue to follow. And so she's grieving. She misses Jesus. She misses her Savior. Samuel Rutherford said that missing Christ is the most bitter ingredient that the Christian has to drink in his cup of sorrow. I don't know if you know what that's like, friend. Maybe... There's been a time in your experience that you've been backslidden in your heart, that you're aware of the light of the countenance of the Lord perhaps not shining upon you as it once did. His words not speaking to you. The heavens are like brass as you you try to pray, but you can't, and you wonder where the Lord is. It's a painful place to be. You miss him, even for him to come with a word of rebuke. And so her pain, it's only confounded now by the fact that he's died, yes, but also that his body is missing. So what does she do? Well, she stoops down. She she looks into the tomb. It's as if if Mary 
can't quite believe what's happened. You know what it's like, friends? At times we can clutch at straws. We've been told something, but we, we can't believe that it can possibly be true. And so it's as if she's stooping down, looking into the, the cave, just to make sure that maybe they haven't missed something, that perhaps Jesus is there in the corner after all, and, and they didn't see him. But there's no sign, not at least of Jesus. But Mary does see something, or should I say someone, some people. Because there in the cave, what we see are two angels. One at the head and one at the feet of the grave clothes where Jesus had lain. Now Mark's account of this tells us that these angels, as angels often are, they're there in the form of man. They look like mankind. Now, as we look at this scene, it's, it's a familiar scene, is it not? Because if we cast our minds back, friends, to the Ark of the Covenant, what do we see in the Ark of the Covenant? We have the mercy seat. We have the law under the mercy seat. And on either side of the mercy seat, we have the cherubim looking in. The angels. Now, what does the mercy seat represent? Christ. Christ is our mercy seat. He is the one who covered the law by fulfilling the law perfectly. And so we see echoes almost of that scene here before us as the angels are there looking in on this scene. Why are you weeping, they ask her. Now, of course, it was obvious to Mary why she was weeping. But yet the angels knew. They knew that the, the very fact that the tomb was empty wasn't a, a cause to weep, but a cause to rejoice. This was proof that Christ had risen triumphant over the grave. Had Mary come to the tomb and Christ was in the tomb, then this would have been cause to weep. And you know, as we look at the grave uh, clothes here, and I'm not being dogmatic by anything I say here, it's good to, for us to think about these things though. As we look at the, the, the grave clothes in, in verse 6, we read that Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, this is interesting. And it's interesting because in Jewish tradition, when uh, you would have a meal at someone else's house, if you enjoyed the company, if you enjoyed the hospitality, if you enjoyed being there, what you would do is you would take your napkin, you would scrunch it up, and you would leave it on the plate as a sign of this enjoyment. Strange for our ears, but that was just the culture, the custom of the day. If you didn't like the company, what you would do is you would, you would politely fold up the napkin, put it on the plate as a sign that you weren't coming back. Now, could it be that this is why this napkin covering the head of Jesus was folded? A sign that they could identify with, that he had conquered the grave, that he was never to return. I don't see why not. 
Why are you weeping, they ask. The angel asks. And Mary replies, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Even with these angels there, she's still bound to the physical. She's unable to see the the significance of the empty tomb. The, The penny, as it were, hasn't yet dropped. And then she becomes aware of someone standing behind her. It doesn't say how she's aware. Maybe she saw the expression on the the faces of the angels as they looked over her shoulder to gesture that there was someone there behind her. Maybe she heard footsteps uh, coming towards her. Maybe the Holy Spirit put it on her spirit that someone was behind her. We don't know, but either way, she turns round. And as she turns round, there in front of her eyes was the very one who she was looking for. Her beloved Jesus. But she doesn't recognize him. She doesn't know it's him. There's speculation as to why this is the case. Some say it was dark. She couldn't see him properly. Others would say it's because her eyes were so filled with tears. You know what it's like when you've been crying and crying and you can't see? Your vision is perhaps blurred. Others would say that that she was deliberately blinded by God as to who this was for a time, just as the two on the road to Emmaus were. But maybe it could be something else. Could it not be that, that there was something different in the appearance of Christ. Something that had occurred supernaturally following the completion of his death and resurrection. He was still human, yes. He was still man, undoubtedly, but he was different. Let's not forget, friends, that, that before the cross, Christ was a suffering sin-bearer. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. His whole life was characterized by suffering and pain and sorrow of an unimaginable kind. Suffering that no doubt would have been visible in his face. You know what it's like when people are are suffering. They're, They're perhaps carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. At times it's very hard to hide it. Now we mustn't rob Christ of his humanity The strain of what was before him at the cross, it was bound to show in his face. Isaiah 53 too, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty. But now he had conquered Satan and sin. He had satisfied, as we thought about this morning, the the divine justice of God. He was no longer weighed down by all the many burdens that he had to endure. And so surely it's not unfair to say that Mary didn't recognize Jesus because his face had been gloriously transformed. That's what the the catechism says. Says, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but when it talks about our resurrection body, it talks about our resurrection body as being the same but different. The same but different. And then he speaks Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are 
you seeking. Now, to our ears, we might think that these are derogatory words referring to someone as woman nowadays would seem coarse and uncaring. You wouldn't take it as a, a polite gesture, an endearing uh, uh, gesture to anyone to call them woman. But this word woman here, it's not derogatory at all. And R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, reminds us that this was the universal term for woman, but it was also frequently used as an honorific title of endearment. And so this was a term of endearment. He cared about her tears. He wanted to comfort this woman in the same way that he wants to comfort you and comfort me when he sees our tears. Let's never forget that. He is our, if we had his today, he is our loving, heavenly Father. That's who he is. She, of course, is weeping because she's looking for a, a dead Jesus, her confusion has led her to look for the wrong thing in the wrong place. And her, con her response only goes to confirm her ignorance. Supposing him to be the gardener, we read, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Notice what she's doing here. Without thinking, she, she's offering to carry away the body of her Savior. This shows her love for Jesus. We know that the body of Jesus would no doubt have been totally beyond uh, the strength of one person to carry. Her, her love for the Lord Jesus is that she's willing to do anything for his name. This was love and commitment offering to do the impossible as love often does. You know when you really love someone, you're willing to do anything for them? You don't think it through, perhaps. You'll do it. You'll be there. You'll worry about the details later. But if it's going to help that person, you'll do it. That's Mary. That's Mary. And Jesus knows this. He knows that she has a seeking heart. And he responds. He responds to her plight. But I wonder, before we go on, if there are any in here tonight, just as we pause for a moment, who perhaps find themselves just like Mary. In a dark tomb, maybe, maybe tonight you would call yourself a seeker. You're seeking after Jesus, but yet you find yourself in this dark tomb and you just cannot find this Jesus. Keep seeking. Because friends, if there is seeking on your part, sure as anything that is seeking on his. If you go after him, be assured that he is going to go after you. Keep seeking. Why? Because just as he was in front of Mary, friends, Jesus is in front of your very eyes here tonight in his word. He's here. 
by his Spirit, whether you recognize him or not is another thing, whether you can see him or not with the eyes of faith, remains to be seen. But keep seeking, have the Spirit of Mary, don't give up until you can call him your Lord and your God. I know what it's like to call myself a seeker. I did it in the past, and maybe I'll speak more about this in the fellowship after. But if we are truly seeking, let us truly seek and not give up until we find him. And so Mary turns away from this gardener, obviously refocusing on the empty grave. That's all she can see. She's not interested in this man. He doesn't have the answer she's looking for. She wants to find Jesus. But he did have the answer because he was the answer. And we see that in this great revelation of that one precious word, Mary. Mary, he calls her by her name. And it's at this very point that everything changes for this woman, this, this, faithful, this faithful follower who, who by this one word, more powerful than any sermon, realizes that here in front of her very eyes is the one who she's been looking for, which brings us very briefly to our second point, the risen Savior. And it's interesting to note that Christ reveals himself to Mary not by his appearance. You know, supposing Jesus physically came into this building, people still wouldn't believe. People would still explain it away. What's interesting here is that Jesus reveals himself to Mary by his word. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. He reveals himself by speaking personally to her, by calling her by her name. Even although she'd had it so wrong, even although she had completely misunderstood what had happened to Jesus, even although she was so slow to comprehend who he was when he was right there in front of her, nonetheless, he reveals himself to her by the power of his word. And isn't that encouraging? It's encouraging to us tonight that this is this first resurrection appearance. Who does the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, choose to reveal himself to? The scribes, the Pharisees, the important people of the church? No, it's not. This ordinary everyday woman, Mary. That's our Jesus. That's who we come before tonight. That's the one who cares for you deeply and intimately if you want him to. And so just like that, Mary sees him and she responds with that one simple word, Rabboni. That's, of course, teacher or master. And you can just imagine the scene. 
She's overjoyed. She's reunited with her Savior. He, he's not dead after all. What, what a feeling it is when, when we've been searching for Christ, we can't find him, and, and then unexpectedly he reveals himself to us. There is no greater joy. And she never wants to let him go. She embraces him. She never wants to let him out of her sight again. But Jesus says, no. Do not cling to me, he says, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And so Jesus tells her to wait. Now, I don't think we can say that he objected to being physically touched. Otherwise, how can we explain his words to Thomas in verse 27? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You see, Mary, Mary was probably hoping that Jesus was here to stay. He'd had this incident with the grave, with the cross. That was now in the past. Now he's here to stay. Things can go back to normal. Things can go back to how they once were. He can go into the towns and the villages. He can teach and heal and uh, perform miracles. But Jesus says, no, things have changed. He's saying, yes, fellowship will be resumed. That is true. But, but the fellowship that's going to be resumed will be far richer and far more blessed than ever before. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. What was to follow was a, a spiritual communion with the risen and ascended Lord. And that's the communion you and I enjoy with him today if we are in Christ. We can't see him. We can't touch him. But yet we know he's here. Dwelling within us. Tabernacling within his people. Isn't that something? Here he is. And of course, without this revelation, this physical revelation, the whole gospel would be in vain. Had Christ not revealed himself to Mary that day, there would be no point in me continuing tonight, friends. And this is important because if, yes, we remember the death, the, the death of our Lord today, but if we were worshipping a God who only died on a cross and was buried in a grave, our worship would be a complete and utter farce. We read in Scripture, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also vain. You are yet in your Sins. The resurrection is a stone that holds up the whole arch of the gospel. Without the resurrection, everything else comes crumbling down. The late John Stott said, Christianity in its very essence is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. And of course, we share bringing this, applying this to you and to me, not just to Mary, 
we share in this resurrection. What did we read this morning? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What was Jesus? What is Jesus? He is the first fruits of the dead. What does that mean? Well, he is first to rise in this way. We will follow. Following his resurrection will be our resurrection on that great and glorious day when he comes. Every tomb, every grave will be open. The sea will give up her dead and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is a resurrection hope. Question 38 in the Catechism asks, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? I'm nearly finished with this. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. What a glorious thought. That day when faithful followers such as Mary Magdalene and I hope such as you and me, we will physically come face to face, eyeball to eyeball with Jesus, being blessed, as we read there, in the full enjoying of God. We are enjoying God just now, but only through a glass darkly. We're only seeing shadows through the lattice of his word, of the beauty of who he is. But not then. This will be a full enjoying of God to all eternity. And if you're yet to know what it is to be a follower of this risen Savior, can I urge you, keep looking for him. Just as Mary did, don't give up. Keep looking so that you too might be able to come and to fall down before this risen Savior in response to his voice calling you by your name. That you would come with that word of saving realization on your lips. Rabboni. That he would be your Rabboni, your teacher, your master, your father. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony that you've given to us of others in your word. A testimony that reveals to us the glory of who you are and of who we can be in you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you might be pleased to bless all that we've heard this evening, that it would speak to us and feed us and enable us all the more to, yes, have one eye here in time, but also one in eternity, that that resurrection hope would resound with all of us as we reflect on the glorious reality that we have done this in remembrance of you until you come again. And until that time, we pray that for all of us here, that we would be found as faithful followers of the King, 
that we would have the spirit of Mary seeking to do all that we possibly can to bring, bring glory and honor to the one who died and gave himself for us. We pray that you would bless us in the fellowship that is to come. Bless the portions that will be set before us there. We give thanks for them. And all we ask, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.